How is everybody else? <laughs> good. I'm glad that you guys are good. I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. Listen, I told uh, two people this this morning, but I did not realize that Clemson lost. So I would be in a much different mood if I had actually watched that football game, but I didn't. The Lord was looking out for me because my Wi-Fi went out. And so I wasn't able to watch the game. And so like the Lord was looking out for you guys and he was looking out for me like, I would have had to confess some sin or something if I had watched that game more than likely. So praise God that my Wi-Fi went out. Um, I'm glad that you guys are here for church uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Joshua 17. We're going to be in Joshua 17 this morning, uh, picking up where Tyler left off last week. Uh, we are going to be in the second half of chapter 17. It's kind of a continuation of what Tyler uh, went through last week. Uh, as you know, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, we've been going through a series called Inheritance, and the whole purpose of the series is we want you as a church, we want you as a believer to understand that the inheritance that Christ has given you is available to you by faith. It is available to you because of the grace and the mercy that he has given you. It is not about what you can do, but rather the way that you receive and how that stirs in you an act of obedience. That's what we see over and over and over through Joshua is the, uh, the, the Israelites, uh, they receive this promise, they receive this inheritance, and because of the inheritance that they have received, they should respond with an act of obedience, not because they have to, but because they need to understand how, how blessed they really are. And so as we have gone through this series, we have done our best, we have... Uh, tried to pour as much diligence into the process as possible to help our church, to help each individual in this church to understand that the inheritance of Christ is available to you by faith, by grace alone, and that stirs in you obedience. Uh, and so today we're going to be, like I said, in Joshua 17. Uh, and so just a little bit of background, Tyler kind of went through a little bit of it uh, last week, uh, but chapter 17, it specifically focuses on uh, the inheritance that the tribe of Joseph receives. And so if you know anything about the tribe of Joseph, if you remember anything about Joseph, he has two sons, we're going to see that, um, and they are blessed by Jacob when Jacob is about to die. If you would like to look this week, you're more than welcome to, but you can go back uh, to Genesis chapter 49, Jacob blesses every single one of his sons, including Joseph. And the thing about the blessing that he gives uh, Joseph is it's a prophecy, saying about how fruitful his lineage will be, how people will come against him and fight against his lineage, but they will always succeed because of how great their father is. And so what we're going to see today is that chapter 17 is a fulfillment of the prophecy that happens in chapter 49. I'm going to actually flip there. It may not be on the screen, but I'm going to flip there, and we're going to read it really, really quickly. Uh, and yes, I mean really quickly. Give me just a second to flip there. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 49 of Genesis. I was not planning on reading this part, but we're going to go for it. So it picks up in verse 22. So uh, Genesis 49, verse 22. It says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine beside a spring. Its branches climb over the wall. The archers attacked him. 
shot at him and were hostile towards him, yet his bow remained steady. His strong arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, by the God of your father who helps you, by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above and blessings of the deep that lies below, the blessings of breasts and the womb, the blessings of your father excel, the blessings of my ancestors the, and the bounty of the ancient hills. May they rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince of his brothers. So Jacob speaks this blessing over, over the sons and over Joseph in this moment to help him understand that their lineage, it will be strong, it will be mighty, and the reason that it will be strong and the reason it will be mighty is because of their father in heaven because of the promises that God has given them. And so this is the background for chapter 17, really chapter 16 and 17 in Joshua. And as we go today, we're going to see how the people uh, in the tribe of Joseph respond to the fulfillment of this uh, promise. Uh, and so we're going to read uh, chapter 17, starting at verse 14, and we're going to go all the way to verse 18. So it says, Joseph's descendants said to Joshua, Why did you give us only one tribal allotment as an inheritance? We have many people because the Lord has been blessing us greatly. If you have so many people, Joshua replied to them, go to the forest and clear an area for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephraim, because uh, Ephraim, uh, Ephraim's hill country is too small for you. But the descendants of Joseph said, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the valley area have iron chariots, both at Beth Shean and its surrounding villages and in the Jezreel Valley. So Joshua replied to Joseph's family, that is Ephraim and Manasseh, you have many people and great strength. You will not have just one allotment because the hill country will be yours also. It is a forest. Clear it, and its outlying areas will be yours as well. You can also drive out the Canaanites, even though they have iron chariots and are strong. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this chance to come before your word, for, your, for this opportunity to come before your truth, for this moment to sit with our family. And receive from your word, receive from your well, receive from your spring that continuously flows into us. Lord, I pray that in this time, that we have hearts that are soft to what you have to speak to us this morning. That any ounce of discouragement, any, any uh, mindset of, of heartache, that you cast it away by the power of your spirit that you have given us, and that we can see clearly the promises that you have given us, that we can see clearly everything that you have promised us, to everything that you have uh, destined to give us, and we do not see the problems that surround us. We know that the problems are real, but God, we know that you are real too, and that you have authority over all of those things, as we just sang, because you are great. I pray that our hearts are just soft to receive this this morning. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. So when I was like seven or eight, uh, Christmas morning, uh, my parents 
my parents are fantastic. They've always gotten us tons and tons of presents. Um, they've always blessed my brother and I. I was very fortunate to receive that every single year. Uh, but when I was like maybe seven or eight, I don't remember exactly what year it is, um, my brother received a gift. And I'm going to show you the first picture. You guys might laugh whenever you see this. But my brother received a gift that morning. And so my brother is the one on in the South Carolina shirt, which is questionable. And then I'm the one in the, in the robe, which makes sense. And so uh, this was our house. We moved uh, not long after this, but my brother received this gift. And I was, as you can tell, like I was completely into it. We had opened all the other presents and everything. And so this was the last present that my brother was opening. My dad made a big deal about it. And so as he's opening it and he gets it out, John, if you want to flip to the next one, I realize, as you can see with my excitement right there and the look on my face, that my brother got a BB gun. My brother got a, a Daisy buck. I don't really remember exactly, but it's a BB gun. I just remember like feeling so jealous in that moment. Like I was so excited for my brother. Like he got a BB gun. Like if anybody knows, I'm going to make the first Christmas joke of the year. But like I immediately thought of like, you're going to shoot your eye out, kid. Like immediately. Like, anytime that anyone sees a BB gun, like, that's what they think about. And, like, I was excited. It was dangerous. It was exciting. I wanted one. But I didn't have one. At, at that time, I didn't have one. I didn't, I didn't have it in front of me. My parents didn't have one right there. And so in that moment, I was like, my brother got something that I didn't get. I became jealous, I became envious, and I wanted what he had. I didn't care about literally the mound of toys that I had uh, as a six, seven, or eight-year-old behind me. I only cared about this one thing. I saw a problem, and I wanted it fixed. So, of course, in typical kid fashion, I threw a fit, as you can tell with the look on my face. That was probably the beginning of it. I don't really remember, but, like, you know, you look at the bowl cut, and you're just like, yeah, that just makes sense. So, for real. Y'all are probably like, what happened? I don't know. We can talk about it. So, but I just remember, like, I was so jealous in the moment, so jealous, and I wanted a BB gun. Well, the funny thing is, I honestly think that maybe my dad, like, played a prank on me or something and made me think that I wasn't going to get one. Um, but, John, if you'll flip to the next one. My parents had it hidden behind the Christmas tree so that I wouldn't see it. And they ended up giving me one. As you can see, all the other toys that are over here, like, just behind this, looks like I got like mega blocks or something and some kind of helmet. I can't even really tell. Cameras were fantastic back then. Uh, but I ended up getting a BB gun myself. Mine was smaller than my brother's though. So of course, even though I had my own, I still wanted to use his because his was bigger. Like it just, I wanted that one. I didn't, I loved mine, but his looked better. It had a better piece of wood on the end. It had like a little engraving on it. Mine was just like plain. And so I just remember as a kid, all I saw was a problem. I, I wanted this, but I, I, I couldn't receive it, even though my parents gave me everything that I wanted. And it's really interesting because in this scripture, we see a similar situation. The Israelites, they've been given everything that they need, everything that they want, everything that they could desire. But they still saw a problem. Today, as we go through this scripture, I want to make one point for you guys. When we live in the inheritance of Christ, we must see the promises of his salvation and not allow the problems of this world to move us. It was really easy for the, for the situation with my brother, that BB gun, to move me real quick. Granted, I was like seven or eight. 
If you've ever been around a kid, it can be like zero to 100 in like 10 seconds. So actually like one second, depending on the situation. I was easily moved then. But even now, as I'm living in Christ, it's difficult in times to not allow the circumstances of my life to move me. We have to understand that we need, as people who are living in Christ, we have to see the promise of Christ and not see the problems of this world. We have to see the promise and not the problem. It doesn't mean that we ignore the problem. The problems are real. The things that are going on in our life, they're real. But the moment that we allow those things to get become bigger than the promises, bigger than salvation, bigger than grace, bigger than mercy, the moment that we allow those things to become bigger than the promises that God has given us is the moment that we allow Satan to take a foothold in our life. And we have allowed him to conquer us rather than understand that Jesus has conquered him. Because again, Jesus has got all authority over him, right? That's right. So we're going to go verse by verse in this scripture as we continue to unpack the idea that we need to see the promise and not the problem. So we're going to start in verse 14. We're going to pick up there. So it says, Joseph's descendants said to Joshua, why did you give us only one tribal allotment? Remember, Joshua was dividing, along with some other leaders in the Israelites, he was dividing the, the land of Israel after the conquest. He was dividing it up. Okay, he was giving it out according to allotment. And so what that meant, if you remember, he kind of had like these little dice that he would literally just like roll, and whatever it fell on, that was what the Lord wanted. It's kind of like if you play Monopoly and you move spots, that kind of the same idea. Like you just move the amount of spots that, uh, that it tells you to move. So if you roll snake eyes, you get to go again. Not so much in this situation. Like it's not like the, if it rolls snake eyes, they get to go again. But anyways, it was like they were rolling dice. And so whatever the dice fell Dice? Die? Whatever the dice fell on, is it dice or die? Die? That. So, anyways, thanks for the help. I appreciate it. I did not do good in English class. So, um, but they would roll these objects. They would roll these objects. And whatever it landed on, they had to receive that allotment. And so that's what happened. Joshua did this. They received this allotment. They received a large portion that stretched from the Mediterranean all the way to the Jordan, kind of straight across the middle of Israel, kind of above Jerusalem and Jericho. Um, And so they received this, this one tribal allotment. And they responded, they say, why did you give this to us? Why did you give us only one? Do you not remember that we're two, we're two different groups of people? Why did you only give us one? We should have gotten more than that. And then they turn around and they say, we have many people because the Lord has been blessing us greatly. So they come before Joshua and they complain. They see a problem. They don't see the blessing that God has given them, but rather they see a problem. They say, listen, we have multiplied so greatly. We have so many kids and so many teenagers and so many men, much like the kids wing in our church. We got so many babies in there. We're kind of outgrowing the space. We need volunteers to hang out. Like, They see a problem. They don't see the blessing. They have two blessings in front of them even. The blessing of of having a multitude of people, the fulfillment of the promise that's in Genesis 49. They see that, but they still don't see that the land is a promise being fulfilled. They don't see that the land is a blessing, but rather they see it as a a problem. You see, they receive this great gift, but their eyes and their heart, they're focused on the barriers and not the blessings. And we can be similar 
Christ has given us all that we own, and yet we can focus so much on what we don't have. It is so easy, especially in the consumer culture that we live in, to focus on what we don't have, what I don't possess, what I don't own. They're like, I got a fantastic car, but I really would love an F-150. It's like, that truck's pretty big. That truck's pretty nice. It's like, I got some pretty good shoes, but I would really love some new shoes. I'm not talking about Tyler. Don't, Tyler's shaking his head. I'm just talking about shoes. <laughs> I'm not talking about Tyler. You can ask Sarah Grace, what do I talk about that I want the most out of anything? Shoes? Listen, I got my lightsaber, okay? I'll show y'all a video of it, but anyways, like, we can get so focused on what we don't have that we lose focus of what we do have. We can get so focused on what we don't possess, the circumstances that are around us. We can get so focused on those that we don't focus on the grace and the mercy that we've been given. We, we don't focus on the fact that we have tons and tons of clothes that we may or may not wear year-round. But there are people out there that all they have is one set of clothes. That there are people out there that only have one set of shoes, but I got like 12 in my own home. For me, not even for Sarah Grace. Sarah Grace has got like 50. You know it's true. It's all right. Listen, we all know I'm pretty bad about shoes, but like I really, really like shoes. So like that's the thing that I'm always like when I'm walking through the mall or walking through Target, because those are like the two places that we go, I always am looking at people's shoes. Like, I I love shoes. Anyways, we can get so focused on those things, and it becomes a barrier. When we want something, when we envy something, when we become jealous of something, it can become a barrier for us. It can become a barrier that distracts us from Christ, distracts us from what Christ has given us. But we need to understand that there is no barrier, there is no problem, there is no circumstance, there is nothing that Christ has not overcome. Christ has overcome every barrier that we have, everything that we might desire. You need to understand that he's already given it to you. Our problem, again, is that we live in a consumer culture. I don't, we don't typically talk about culture, but we live in a consumer culture, and so we're always looking for the next great thing. We're always looking for the next thing that we can receive. But in reality, we have received everything that we need, and if we would live in what we have received, then we could overflow and help other people receive too. Similar to the people, uh, to the tribe of Joseph. They don't understand that they've received more than what they need. And that's why Joshua says what he says in the next verse. In verse 15, it says, if you have so many people. So he immediately takes what they say, Turns it, on their, turns it on his head. He's like, hey, you just said you have so many people. If the Lord has blessed you with that, go to the forest and clear it. Go to the forest and clear it. Clear an area for yourself there in the land of the Prezites and the Rephraim because uh, Ephraim's hill country is too small for you. So something to know about the area that they were given, it was, the, it was a very mountainous area. Very, very mountainous area, so the mountains reached very high. So even though it may not have been the largest portion in, in like, if you were to measure it from one side to another, because of the mountains that were in it, they had plenty of land. It was a heavily forest area, so they had plenty of wood to build homes, to build places to live. They had plenty of space, but they did not see it as that. They saw it as a problem. Why? Because they didn't want to put in the work. They didn't want to put in the effort. They just wanted to receive you got to think for them, they've been fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. Battle after battle, circumstance after circumstance, 
barrier after barrier. Don't you think that Joseph, the tribe of Joseph, would be tired at this point? Here's the other thing to remember. Half of the tribe of Manasseh isn't even in the promised land. So half of that family broke up too. Think of the things that they're carrying, the weight that they're carrying. I'm not making an excuse for them, but the reason that they make this, this claim, the reason why they come to Joshua is because they're carrying hurt. They're carrying shame. They're carrying unrest. And they just want to have a moment of rest. They just want to rest in what God has given them. They don't want to do any more work. But if you remember anything about the conquest of, of uh, this land, the whole point of the conquest was to drive the Canaanites out. Why? Because the Canaanites, they go all the way back to Noah. He's one of Noah's sons. And he was disobedient before the Lord. And so the Lord cursed him and said, said that he would eventually deal with them. That's what this is. The conquest of Israel is, again, God fulfilling a promise. Why? Because of sin. In this situation, the Israelites, the tribe of Joseph, yes, they may be hurting. Yes, they may be tired. Yes, they may be going through difficult circumstances. But even in the difficult circumstances, we cannot say yes to sin. We can't. Because what we do is we offer it the opportunity to have a foothold in our life. We offer it an opportunity to take control of our life. Remember, the promised land, it is the beachhead of what Christ was going to do. It was the place where Christ was going to come and launch his, his eternal mission of redeeming creation. Joshua knew in his heart that God was faithful. And there was evidence before them, literally the promised land that was before them, everything that, that had happened. They had all the evidence in the world. And so he knew that God would continue to be faithful to them. We have to understand, because of all that Christ has done for us, the promises that he has fulfilled, the way that he lived, everything that he has given us, we've used that word given and give a lot lately. It's not on purpose. It's just continued to occur. But because of everything that Christ has given us, we need to endure our problems and see his promises and not allow sin to take a foothold in our life. We cannot be okay with saying yes to sin. We cannot be okay with saying, I'm tired and I just don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to move on and it'll be what it is. We have to stand strong in the face of it as Joshua did. We see kind of two attitudes between the tribe of Joseph and Joshua, which, by the way, is Joshua's family. Joshua is a part of the tribe of Joseph. So Joshua is literally speaking to his own family and saying, no, like you cannot say yes to sin in the land. You cannot say yes to, to being okay with them staying in the land. You need to fulfill what Christ has called you, what God has called you to. But then in, in verse 16, it says, But the descendants of Joseph said, The hill country is not enough. So they turn around and they take what Joshua said and they turn it on, his, on that head. And they say, It's not enough. What you're talking about, there's not enough space, there's not enough room. We don't care. We don't want to do the work. And then they also add, they also add, And all of the Canaanites who inhabit the valley area have iron chariots. So they also say, The situation is too difficult for us. We can't overcome it. We can't, we can't withstand it. We can't do it. We would just rather receive this. Can you make that happen for us? I would just rather get this. This would make it easier for me. This would make the circumstances and the situation easier for me. 
And so Joshua turns um, in verse 17, and he says, So Joshua replied to Joseph's family, to his own family, You have many people and great strength. So what does Joshua immediately do? He immediately snuffs out their fear. He snuffs out their hurt. He snuffs out their shame. All Everything that they're feeling, he does not disregard it, but rather he speaks to the truth. that The, the very thing that they said at the very beginning, we have many people because the Lord has blessed us greatly. He uses that again in, in their favor and says, God has blessed you and you understand it, so you need to continue to move forward in that blessing because if he has blessed you before, he will continue to bless you in the future. His blessings do not stop and they will never cease. Because he does not change, and his love for you never changes. No matter the circumstances, no matter the sin that is in your life, the things that you're dealing with, the weight that you have on top of you, it does not change his love for you. It does not change the way that he wants you to continue to see you through, continue to see you through the circumstances that you are in and the situations that you are trying to hurdle. It will not change. He says, you have many people and great strength. You have the Lord on your side. This phrase, it also reflects that they have the favor of God, which means that they have the fulfillment of the promises, which means that they have the relationship with their father. When, it, when Joshua says you have many people and great strength, he's saying that you have the favor of the Lord upon you. He is with you. He has fulfilled promises and he will continue to fill promises. He says, you will not have just one allotment. Now, when he says this, he's not adding to what they've received and giving in to what they're saying. He's helping them understand that the allotment that they have, it is not limited, but rather there is enough space because he goes on to say, because the hill country will be yours. He tells them again, what you're saying you cannot accomplish, you can accomplish. Why? Because of the blessing of the Lord because of the promise of the Lord that has been fulfilled before you. He says, it is a forest. Clear it, and its outlying areas will be yours. He says, you can also drive out the Canaanites, even though they have iron chariots. You see, the circumstances, they're still a problem for the people. I'm sorry. The circumstances, they're still a problem for the people. But Joshua turns, and like I said, it snuffs out everything that's going on. And Joshua could see that the promise of the Lord was before them, and he was believing in the potential of the people. He was believing completely in the potential of the people that are around them again because of the promise that God had given them. We, church, we need to understand that when we have placed our faith in Christ, we have his salvation, and we can rejoice at all in all of the circumstances. We can rejoice in all the circumstances that are around us because we have Christ. When we place our faith in Christ, you need to understand it's not about what you do. If you do for Christ, that doesn't mean that you can rejoice. It does not start with you doing it. Rather, it starts with you believing and confessing and placing your faith in Christ. When you place your faith in Christ, you can rejoice because in all the circumstances, He is able In all the circumstances, he is able to help you. He gives you the strength that he gave these same people. When we see the promise of our salvation, of the grace that is in us, we can believe in the potential of the life change, and and we can have the desire to tell people about Christ always. When we see the promise of our salvation, when we see what Christ has given us, when we understand the promise of the salvation that we have received, when we understand the grace that is in us, 
in you because of the Holy Spirit that is in you, that Christ has given you, that he, again, promised you. And he has provided to you. When we grasp that, we will begin to see the life change that can happen in other people. And we will begin to see and and grow in a desire to tell people about that life change. We will begin to grow in, in, uh, in a desire to see that life change. Remember, the, the people of Joseph, they had that relationship with Christ. We have a relationship with Christ when we place our faith in him. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to one last place, Colossians 1. It's funny that Sarah Grace shared. I didn't know she was going to do that. But we're going to jump to Colossians 1. If you've been in small group with us, we've been going through Colossians. I think at this point we're in Colossians maybe four, um, but we're gonna we're gonna pick it up in Colossians one and we're gonna go to verse twenty one. You see, when we have a relationship with Christ, when we have a relationship with Christ, we need to understand this truth. This is what Paul is is encouraging the church in uh, Colossae about Colossae about. He says, "Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions." Much like the tribe of Joseph, they were evil in their actions, in their minds, because they weren't seeing the promises of God, but rather seeing the problem of their circumstances. Paul says, but now, but now, he, Jesus, has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy and faultless and blameless before him. So Christ, the promise that he has given you, the fulfillment of what he has given you, everything that he has given you, not the problem of your circumstances. He has solved the problem of your circumstances by presenting you as holy and faultless and blameless before himself. This is the promise of what Christ has given us. Not the, our problem has been solved. The problem of our sin, it has been solved. It has been taken away. It does not mean that we will not continue to sin because we are sinful and broken people. It is our nature. But when we place our faith in Christ, the blood of the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ continues to wash over us and atone for every single sin that we will commit from now until the day that we lay on our deathbed. It will not cease. This is the promise. We have been reconciled and made holy and faultless and blameless before him. But here's the circumstance. Paul reminds the church of this. He says, If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This is the gospel that has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of them. He says the circumstance to seeing the promises and not the problem is staying steadfast and grounded in your faith. You see, the tribe of Joseph, they didn't stay steadfast. They did not stay steadfast in their faith. They did not stay steadfast in what God was doing. They did not stay steadfast in everything, but rather they let the circumstances move them. They let the circumstances change them. I've been going through Matthew recently, and I've noticed the the chapters leading up, probably like chapters 12 to 16, over and over again, the disciples mess up. And each time that they mess up, you know what Jesus says to them? You of little faith. When Peter's on the water, what does Jesus say to him? You of little faith. 
when Jesus is coming down the mountain with Joseph, or Joseph, with John and P, uh, Peter and uh, James from the Mount of Transfiguration, and the, uh, the man comes before Jesus and falls on his knees and says, Father, he says, Lord, you can heal my son. I brought my son to your disciples, but they weren't able. They weren't able to heal him. Can you heal him? Will you heal him? Jesus heals the son, and then he looks at his disciples, and what do you think he says? You have little faith. He tells them that the reason that they're not able to solve the problems, it's not because of their own strength, their own ability, anything that was inside of them other than their faith. You see, the circumstances that we navigate, we don't navigate them by our own strength. We don't navigate anything by our own strength. We don't navigate, we don't handle anything by our own strength. We handle everything by faith. And you know, it sounds crazy because it just sounds so elementary. But the last, I'm, I'm going to be real vulnerable with all of you. The last four months of my life have been some of the hardest They've been some of the most difficult because I've had to make hard choices. I've had to have hard conversations, and it's ways that the Lord is growing my faith. It's the ways that the Lord is looking at me and saying, you of little faith. And how piercing to the heart is that when I hear my, my father say that, not because he's condemning me, not because of anything, but because he understands that I have a heart that loves him and wants to honor and glorify him. He understands that I need more faith, and I do. I need more faith. We all need more faith. We all need to see the promises. We don't need to see the problems. We don't need to see the thing that we're missing out on. We need to see the thing that we've received. We need to see the grace and the mercy that we've received. We need to see the reconciliation do you understand that Christ has made you holy and faultless and blameless through his death? You are not broken. Church, you are, lean in for a second, you're not broken. You are holy and faultless and blameless because of him. We all are. But we will only continue to know that if we live by faith and not our own strength, if we see the promises that he has given us and not the problems in our life. You can ask Sarah Grace, my tendency is to see every problem. It really is. I am not, I don't like to call myself a pessimist, but I probably am. I'm not an optimist. That I do know. I'm not. And y'all probably know it, but I'm not. I see every problem. And by my own strength, I try to fix it. Christ is teaching me this very biblical truth. That I have to see his promises. That we, you, have to see the promises that he has given you. Can I ask you today, what are you struggling to see? What problem in your life has hold of you? 
Because I need you to understand that that problem, it's a lie. It's a lie that Satan is speaking to you to keep a hold of you, to keep you in his grasp, and to keep you from Christ, to keep you from growing in your faith. What lie is he speaking to you right now? Is it that you're unworthy? It is, is it that you're not able? That's the one that he speaks to me the most, that I'm not able. What lie is he speaking to you? What is he trying to discourage you with? And what promise has Christ given you? I can tell you one. Paul spoke it to the Colossians. You are holy and you are faultless and you are blameless because of how he has reconciled you. Because of how he has saved you. He loves you, church. I love you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. For just the chance to come and be vulnerable before you, to offer our hearts to you, to hear a simple biblical truth. Father, I pray in this time that we're able to just open our hands up to you. And just offer ourselves as we reflect, as we partake in communion, as we pray with one another. I pray that in this time that you're that the lies that the enemy is speaking against this church, that they that they flee before you because you have authority over all of them and you have spoken life into every single person that is in this room. You have power and authority. I pray in this time that we can just reflect on what you have given us, the promises that you have given us. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you were encouraged by the message. At ID Clifton, we exist to love God, love others, and make disciples. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events, please visit us at idclifton.com. We'll see you next time.